0: In this week's Texas Tribune Tribcast, we'll talk about the immigration crisis in El Paso, the latest on the state's voter roll review, and culture wars heating up at the Texas Capitol. But before we do, I'd like to thank today's Tribcast sponsors. Texas Tech University, a chronic veterinarian shortage threatens rural communities and livestock industries. Texas Tech is establishing Texas's first veterinary school in 100 years. And the Texas Association of School Business Officials. Discover the heroes behind the scenes that help make Texas schools run effectively at TASBO.org. Hello, this is Emily Ramshaw here on Wednesday, April 3rd with the Texas Tribune Tribcast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. I'm joined this week by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Reporter Alexa Ura. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. And investigative editor Dave Harmon. Hi. Hey, Dave. As always, we are taking your questions in real time on Twitter and Facebook. You can do it using the hashtag Tribcast. Okay, Dave, uh, we don't have Julian Aguilar with us because he is covering the crisis on the border and he happens to be based in the great city of El Paso. But you uh, have been editing basically everything that he's been writing. What the heck is going on right now?
1: Uh, There's a lot of people trying to figure that out uh, in real time and it changes pretty much daily at this point. Uh, The big picture is lots and lots of people coming to the border trying to claim asylum, trying to come into the country. The numbers have spiked recently. Uh, I think uh, Homeland Security is estimating 100,000 apprehensions and denials of entry for March, which would be a 12-year high. Hmm. And more than half of those are families with kids.
0: And why all the attention on El Paso right now versus, you know, the Rio Grande Valley where so much attention was with the family separation crisis? Uh, You know,
1: El Paso seemed to get overwhelmed recently. And it's, I don't think El Paso has as many agents as they do in the Valley. Hmm. So it's kind of a smaller infrastructure there. And they kind of hit their breaking point recently. And uh, the the shelters filled up, the border patrol stations exceeded their holding capacity, and at one point they were holding people in basically a corral under a freeway bridge.
0: God, I know the pictures were like pretty horrifying. What that looked like in your hometown, Ross?
2: Yeah, it's you know they had a a, a makeshift chain link fence under an overpass, and just mm. people just standing there. It yeah. Like- Exactly. Yeah, it was horrible.
0: So uh, President Trump has said a whole wide range of things about this current situation. He said basically that the U.S. is going to be returning more migrants to Mexico. He said the border is going to be shut down because of this influx of people. What are his threats? What's the reality of his threats versus the rhetoric behind his threats?
1: That kind of remains to be seen. You know, how much is threat and how much is actually going to happen The administration seems to be softening the threat. I mean, last week it was, I'm going to shut down the border. I'm not kidding. This morning it was, if Congress doesn't close the loopholes at the border, I'll shut it down, or maybe some of it. And, uh... Other administration officials have talked about a partial shutdown, allowing commercial traffic to come through, but stopping everyone else.
0: Uh, how do you know what's commercial traffic and what isn't commercial traffic, though? Like, is a truck, you know, allegedly filled with goods? You know, I mean, yeah, how do you... I mean, I guess it's just literally letting commerce through, it's but not human beings. It's
2: inspections. you got to look in every truck. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know... A- exactly. exactly. Wow. Exactly.
0: Um, so... In uh, sort of on that note, what's going on with the internal border checkpoints? Obviously, the, in Texas, the internal border checkpoints are almost as famous as the border checkpoints because how many of us have driven through them when we're going, you know, from South Texas or from West Texas, you know, back to the side of the state? S- uh, have some of them been shut down, or are they, or are they, you know, back in operation?
1: They shut down the checkpoints around the El Paso area, and to my knowledge, those are the only ones they've they've closed, and they said they needed to divert. The agents from those checkpoints to the border to help with the surge in in migrants coming across uh, at the same time the uh, I think it was ICE announced that they were going to divert hundreds of of their agents from the ports of entry to help the border patrol mm-hmm. so they're they're moving people around and really trying to get a handle on the people mm-hmm. coming to the border and, and asking for asylum. Mm-hmm.
3: I think what's been interesting is watching the way in which this has caused so much uncertainty on the border. Anyone who's ever sat in a line to get into the U.S. from Mexico on these bridges knows that the diversion of any sort of resources is not a good sign. Right. Um, you know, I have sat in that line for hours before. Yeah. How
2: many gates are open today? Yeah, exactly. Three gates right. instead of eight gates. And are, right. I
3: think the other thing too is, you know, so, much of, so many of our border communities depend on trade. People's livelihoods depend on that. Both of my parents' livelihoods depend on that. And so I think there's a lot of people who are watching the news with no sort of clarity and sort of figuring out what is this going to mean for my job next week if this happens mm-hmm.
0: right and so what are then the um, what are the politics at play here right because i mean you look at the images and it looks like it's serious crisis mode and then you have other people who are saying well this is just seasonal it's always a spike this time and then you have you know trump playing in in such a big way how much of this is politics and who, what are the sort of different sides and how this is playing out
1: i mean i think there's a lot of politics mm-hmm. at play here i mean the the numbers are real the 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 big influx that we've seen recently is real because there's a lot of people leaving Central America right now and trying to get to the U.S. Um, Trump appears to be using this to apply pressure on Congress to get what he wants, which is a border wall and more resources for, for border enforcement. He's also trying to put pressure on Mexico because he really wants Mexico to stop the migrants before they reach the Mexican border. And, uh, you know, I don't, doesn't look like he's made a whole lot of headway with Congress. Uh, you know, Mitch McConnell has pushed back pretty hard against the idea of shutting the border down. Uh, I think he called it, um, you know, a, a potential economic disaster.
0: Not just for avocados. We no, had a story not, right today. Totally the, the, the avocados right. are what get all the attention. It's but not
1: just tequila, folks. Yeah, right.
0: right exactly. Uh,
1: but, you know, Mexico seems to be changing how it's, it's doing things. I mean, uh, not too long ago, they were giving out humanitarian visas to just about anybody who gave, came across their southern border. They've stopped that. Uh, there's a caravan in Chiapas right now, about 2,500 people, and they say that they're going to issue visas on merit. These are visas that let people stay and work in Mexico. Uh, they're going to give them just to women, children, older people. And next month, they say they're going to start issuing those visas in their home countries, in El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, based on merit. So they seem to be trying to to make Trump happy.
0: Well, maybe his pressure is working. Thank you, Dave. All right, Alexa, uh, we haven't had you here in a couple of weeks, and I want to get the latest on everything related to the attempted um, voter roll purge. Uh, First of all, there was like a was there a settlement, wasn't there a settlement moment? Uh, Talk a little bit about the legal filings that uh, play in this case and where we stand.
3: So there is no settlement in this case yet. Um, That said, there have been conversations between the state and the lawyers for, I think it's about 14 plaintiffs that have sued the state over this. Um, That includes naturalized citizens and civil rights groups here in Texas. Um, You know, the the state in sort of what some lawyers have called an, an unusual move noted in an advisory to the court last week saying, hey, we've proposed something. We've come to the table. It's unclear if that was just to, you know, sort of a sign of good faith to the judge who has been really critical of them so far. Unclear. But there was a meeting in San Antonio on Monday. Nothing came out of that despite some a misfired press release I mean, by one of yeah. the
0: plaintiff's groups. And how much are we to believe I mean, again, it's a misfired press release that basically said, you know, the, what, the state's no longer going to do this.
2: are I mean, the confetti cannon. Right. right. <laughs>
0: I mean, how much do we believe that that was, you know, somebody's rough draft versus like what the actual end result is going to be? I mean,
3: I think, you know, The lawyers in the case have been pretty tight-lipped. And I think that's sort of an ethical thing from a lawyer standpoint. They don't want to talk details about a potential settlement. But what they have made clear is that they, you know, their goal in this has been to stop this review. Mm -hmm. Um, A review that seemingly focused on naturalized citizens or at a minimum swept up naturalized citizens even though Secretary of State officials knew that. And so I think they're going into these settlement agreements thinking or settlement conversations thinking about that. What is a way that we can stop sort of the root cause of this which was Uh this initial advisory. Um, SOS and the AG's office have previously said, you know, everything is on the table. We're thinking about this. Um, I don't know how much they actually mean when they say everything is on the table. So I think those are still Ongoing, seemingly, there are things that have kept them from getting to an agreement. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we'll see, you know, the judge set an upcoming hearing, I think, at the end of the month um, in the case, and there's sort of a running deadline to set discovery dates and all of that. Um, seemingly, the state would like to avoid discovery, so we'll see, but I think, you know, also hanging over this now is this congressional investigation that was announced on Friday.
0: Yep, so I want to ask about that. Uh, talk about, so con- Congress basically, I mean, how much of this investigation is, you know, Democrats playing their political hand versus, you know, a serious investigation into at, con- at the congressional level into what has happened in Texas?
3: I mean, I think it's hard not to see it as partisan, given given that Democrats obviously overtook the House and control of these major committees. Um, But the investigation into the Texas voter roll review effort debacle, however you want to call it, is actually part of a larger investigation they're working on on voter suppression efforts. Mm -hmm. I think Kansas is involved, Georgia is involved, or there Mm -hmm. were a couple of um, issues in the 2016 election or the 2018 election. Um, And so it's Really, part of a broader investigation, um, but obviously, you know, Nancy Pelosi was in town a couple of weeks ago. She was promoting their um, what HR1, the big sort of voting rights bill in Congress, and this is something they're looking at. I don't think you can take the, um, the partisanship out of it, um, but it definitely is sort of an indication from the Democrats to their voters and saying, "Thanks for giving us control, because now we can do this sort of thing."
0: That Nancy Pelosi press conference was the one where Alexa got like a standing ovation for her reporting. How about that? It yep. Was, it was with a bit more today. So, yeah, <laughs> first time for everything. Um, I, I want to ask about David Whitley. What the latest is on the Secretary of State and his, you know, potential his confirmation and also his salary. I've seen of some reporting on that. Yes, so um, you know, Whitley is
3: sort of facing this countdown to get. Um, confirmed by the Senate. If he's not confirmed before the end of the legislative session which ends at the end of May, he has to leave his office immediately. What if there's a special session that they call right away? It's during the regular. Uh, it's just the regular uh, session. It's just during the regular. Into a
2: pumpkin on Memorial Day.
3: Got it. Yeah. And so, you know, that's sort of hanging over his head. At the same time, um, you know, Democrats don't seem to have shifted in their opposition to his nomination. So far, they still have enough votes if everyone's there to block that nomination. Um, but, you know, he is sort of staying in Office while getting this much bigger salary than his predecessors. Um, and so,
0: what the issue on that salary? Had the salary been so he, he's got a big boost or he got a you know boost that was higher than his predecessors but was that before all of this happened or is that recent?
3: It was. It was before all of this happened. He was appointed um, December 17th and the letter I believe came the day after and basically rejiggered his salary. Um, Rolando Pablos who was in the job before him was making I think it was like 50k less than he was. Like
2: 120, I think it was
3: 132. Yeah, right. um, and seemingly that is what Whitley came in at when and he became Secretary of State, you know, leaving the governor's office on a pretty high posting there, um, Governor Abbott sent a letter to LBB, based to the Legislative Budget Board, basically saying, you know, under my authority, blah, 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 I'd like to boost this pay to this much. And it's basically, I looked it up, and it's actually sort of the maximum pay that you could give to someone in that, like, category job, in right. the way that the state sort of describes right. those categories. And it's, you
2: know, I, these are crocodile tears, but that's less than he was making when he was working for the governor.
0: Yes, right. it is almost two hundred. So he got a thousand, giant pair race that
2: brought him up to less than he was making before he took the job.
0: That's, I mean, I think that's important, interesting <clears throat> context. And you're trying to keep right. these guys, you know, out of the private sector and in the public sector, you know, there's an element of that too. Right. So. Yeah,
3: I think, I think for the Democrats right now, they're sort of in this weird position in which they are blocking Whitley's confirmation while also thinking about, well, who was... Abbott going to appoint next, Mm -hmm. right? And I think there's sort of a growing sort of call for Whitley to step down now so that Abbott can replace someone else and that that person can be vetted by the legislature while they're still here. Because if they don't, um, if that doesn't happen, then this person could be appointed in the interim and then they stay there basically until the next legislative Mm -hmm. session.
0: All right, and so finally on this topic, a few weeks ago, the DPS director, Steve McCraw, Mm -hmm. sort of officially rolled himself under the tires of the bus Mm Ate shit for basically <laughs> uh, this this you know the the taking the blame for the data ceremonial used ceremonial suicide yeah right? exactly what's the latest on that what's the fallout been I mean has anyone bought that he's responsible has he been roundly criticized or pilloried or anything like what happens with him. It seemingly has
3: not changed anything when it comes to the Senate Democrats blocking the Whitley vote. I think there was some conversation as to whether there was pressure on McCraw to do this so that it could clear Whitley's name, at least Mm -hmm. in part. But, you know, the errors on the DPS side of things or the SOS side of things or the miscommunication, whatever you want to call them between the two agencies, they really only account for a quarter of the list. And the re- the rest of the list, about seventy k seventy five thousand names, those are still people whose citizenship was questioned. Many of them naturalized citizens, and they've come forward and said, "Listen, I naturalized this many years ago. I haven't had to get a new driver's license, so now I'm on this list." And the judge in the court case has said, "You know, you treated these perfectly legal Americans in ways that you didn't treat other people. Right. You didn't treat people who were born here." So um, it's been sort of interesting to see how that sort of disappeared once McCraw kind of threw himself under the bus for the bigger cause, um, but it seemingly has not helped Whitley.
2: you got to put it in the context too of, you know, the national Democrats are pressing voter cases in all of the states, not just the states, but in all right. of the states where there were close elections last time, including the U.S. Senate race here in Texas. This voter roll purge um, followed, as they always do, but in in its noisy way, a very close election in Texas and, mm-hmm. you know, everything looks shaded and the, and the Texas Democrats and the national Democrats are all looking at this as, you know, a political, you know, game and as a political opportunity.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, before our next topic, I'd like to thank two more Tribcast sponsors. CenterPoint Energy, headquartered in Houston, is a domestic energy delivery company committed to delivering a safe and reliable supply of natural gas and electricity to Texas and beyond. Visit centerpointenergy.com. And the Texas Association of Freestanding Emergency Centers, which stands with Texans statewide who seek access to emergency care without health plan interference. To learn more, visit MyEmergencyMyChoice.com. All right, Ross. uh, State leaders promised to feed us our vegetables this legislative session. School finance, property tax reform, things in theory everybody could get behind. (laughs) And instead, suddenly, we're seeing all this red meat bubbling up. Um, what what's going on? What are the things that they're
2: uh, well? You know, the most recent one was this thing in the Senate uh, yesterday mm-hmm. when the Senate popped out a resolution that they filed apparently yesterday. It didn't go through committee; it came zipping to the floor. And a resolution is a non-binding, uh, you know, Where
0: legally we stand on this. legally
2: inconsequential right. statement. It's basically the Senate saying, you know, we humbly believe. Here's my soapbox stand up, get right. your megaphone. Uh, only the Republicans were in on it. It was a straight up. Um, Republican versus democratic thing, and they were basically saying in four pages of whereas, whereas, whereas um, the border is in crisis, mm-hmm. you know, basically taking the trump position and they and they argued about it for about three hours. They talked about it for about three hours. And you know, on one hand, it is a you know, statement of position or will of at least the Republican half of the Senate. It's a <clears throat> Sorry, it's a it's a throwdown where you're basically you're coming in. You know it's going to be a partisan thing. You know it's a hot issue. You know that what the Texas legislature says in a resolution doesn't have any effect on what actually happens on the border. Mm-hmm. It's just a way to pop off. And 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 legislators okay. do this all the time on a number of things. I mean, it's everything from we would like to honor Matthew McConaughey to we think the border is in crisis. But they threw this one down at a time when it's a very hot issue. Um, they got a lot of coverage on it. Yeah, and allows
0: the, and allows the president to say, the state of Texas has right. even, mm-hmm. you know,
2: So So, you know, it's a, said, it's, a, it's a chance for them to throw some red meat out, yep. and it's not the first time they've done red meat, you know, in the last, last few days. So you voters know that,
0: don't know that there's no strings attached to this red meat?
2: Well, right, yeah. you know, it's just the, the expression of the Texas legislature, you know, in partisan media mm-hmm. is going to be, you know, Texas stands with the president, yada, yada, yada. Right. Uh, the actual effect of that is, you know, you know, Texas popped off. Right. um but it's it's a it's a moment when the legislature is doing a political thing it's like a political ad in the middle of a session mm-hmm. and and they do this a lot and you know it's not always on border stuff like i said sometimes it's you know we'd like to honor this or that filmmaker or this or that you know Boy Scout troop. Boy Scout troop or, you know, particularly successful lemonade so stand. Scout, and, you know, yeah. So many things, right?
0: Someday before uh-huh. I die, I'll get a resolution. <laughs> but, you know, it's part of a set of
2: things that the legislature has been doing, news. particularly on the Senate side. And some of them are consequential that are, More in kind of the partisan red meat category than in the category they've been talking about of school finance, property taxes, meat and potatoes, bread and butter. And so Uh,
0: what are some of those things?
2: Senate Bill 17 is probably the most consequential of these. It's a piece of legislation that would allow people with serious religious um, reasons for not serving a particular population or people... To not serve them Uh, religious exemptions would be allowed so this comes out of the cake maker case in colorado baker
0: right who didn't want to do the same-sex marriage cake
2: right Right. and he won his case in the u.s supreme court and so it opens an opportunity for them to pop out a piece of legislation that says if you have a serious religious objection to serving this one or that one you don't have to serve this one or that one it came out of the senate it's on its way to the house Uh, business groups have labeled it as, you know, sort of the centerpiece of what they call Bathroom Mm
0: -hmm.
2: 2.0, a way to discriminate against groups, you know.
0: LGBTQ discrimination, right.
2: Right, Right. and and the House, you know, so far is having none of it, at least rhetorically. They're just Hmm. saying, you know, this this session isn't about this. We're not gonna do that kind of stuff. Um, And taking under a new speaker, it looks like sort of a similar position to the position they had under the old speaker, which, you know, really, honestly, you know, it was in our reporting two years ago, was driven a lot by business. It was coming to the legislature and saying, please don't do this. You're going to mess up economic development. You're messing with our employees. You're messing with our customers. There's no reason to do this. Just don't.
0: And they've been back this session. The right. business community basically saying, right, don't don't tread in this space. Right,
2: and they're the people you would have to credit or blame for the bathroom 2.0 label on right. this. Yeah, um, right, yeah, right. <laughs> there's another piece of legislation that was originally designed to um, ban or to stop cities from requiring sick leave policies of businesses. Mm-hmm. Austin has one. Dallas has one. I think either Houston or San Antonio does. And either Houston or San Antonio is thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of one those. One of the other. Um, so this comes up as kind of a straight bill to say, cities, you can't do that. And then it got amended uh, before it went to the floor of the Senate in a way that has um, opponents of it saying, you know, this allows cities to get, this allows the state to preempt local um, protections for LGBTQ and, and other groups. And that's become sort of part of this bathroom 2.0 conversation. There's just a lot of red meat floating yeah. around. There's 6,000 6, bills in this session like there always are. 1,500 of them are gonna pass. Some number of them are gonna make noise. We're getting into the part of the session where the noise are right. popping up.
3: Well, and I think it'll be interesting to see how this goes over in the House. Like you said, so far, there's been not a whole lot of appetite for it. But, you know, yesterday in the Senate, it was, quote-unquote, religious refusals, abortion, and then border crisis and the way they framed it, right?
0: Red meat, uh, red meat, red meat.
3: Right. And I think, you know, in the House, last time around, the bathroom bill you know, debate really stopped in the House, right? Because Joe Strauss did not want to move on this. You had business leaning on him. You had people who didn't want to vote on it, even though they may have been on the record, you know, in some way supporting it. And But there's been sort of this dynamic shift in the House, seemingly, where Bonin, the new speaker, is really trying to keep things sort of tamped down. We saw, you know, the abortion stuff come up a little bit on budget night, but for the most part, other things were pulled down. Um, and so I think it'll be interesting to see what, if anything, you know, we're in April, we've always said, what's that one thing in mid to late April, it's gonna blow up the session. Right. Um, and I think, I, I don't know that we've cleared that post yet necessarily, I think, People are probably working really hard behind the scenes to keep that from happening as they take up things like school finance and property taxes. But I'm still curious to see if there's going to be that one thing that pops up.
0: Well, so, and is Bonin going to be the guy like Strauss? Who I mean, and, and does Patrick care enough, Dan Patrick care enough about these issues this session that he's going to draw a line in the sand on them? I mean, what, what do you think happens here when push comes to shove on these pieces of legislation?
2: I, you know, I think they end up where they did last time. The, the Senate wins by bringing the issue up and causing a clamor. And the, and the evidence for that, for me saying that, is Dan Patrick saying at the beginning of this session, well, I think we were victorious on the bathroom right. bill but we got the conversation changed. going yeah. and we got the clamor going. And if he considers that a victory, then he's already won. But his if, relationship- if he needs bills to pass for it to be a victory, I think he's already lost.
0: But you know, what? how will his relationship then with Bonin be by the end of the session? Because his relationship with Joe Strauss was obviously shitty, by the end of the last session. And he's been so out front saying, this is kumbaya, we're all getting along so well.
2: Well, the guy in the middle was the guy in the middle last time, right? Right. Uh, Greg Abbott was sort of like, you know, rhetorically with the Senate, but um, supposedly telling businesses behind the scenes, don't worry, it's not going to get out of the House. You're in the same place this time. You know, you force the governor into a position. If Bonin takes the same position that Strauss took, then you force the governor into a position of saying potentially. Mm-hmm. I agree with the Senate or I agree with the House. And it all happens at a time when they were trying to do meat and potatoes, bread and butter, right. school finance, property taxes. And all maybe the pictures of Barrett's. them
0: together. And you know.
2: Well, right. And, you know, I mean, it's a fighting box. I mean, it's built for debate. It's built for contention. And it shouldn't be surprising that they're arguing about stuff. The trick for the people in management now and forever over there has been, can you keep the debate's that you don't care about out of the way of the debates that you do care about.
0: So do we know how Greg Abbott feels about any of this stuff? Not yet. Are we gonna? I haven't heard from him in a while.
3: I mean, last time around on the bathroom bill, such a huge issue, it took him forever to sort of have any sort of public position on it. He sort of shifted around for a bit and with some of his comments, but it took so long for him to go out there. And that was an issue that was sort of, you know, pull it you know just sucking up all the air out of the room right. i don't really think that some of these you know red meat issues are doing that in the same way this go around and i wonder if he'll feel compelled to have to even say anything publicly right right
0: Meanwhile, while all of these, the big three, are negotiating this stuff, Ken Paxton is eating waffle fries at Chick-fil-A. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the waffle fries are pretty it's good. Another I got, kind I of, say,
0: there's you know. some bread and butter involved there, yeah. uh, right, bread and butter, on your meat sandwich. And potatoes? <laughs> meat and yeah. potatoes. It is meat and yes. potatoes, right? It's a
2: chicken, it's a waffle fry.
0: All right, who would like to fill me in on Ken Paxton's meat and potatoes?
2: Uh, he, you know, I mean... San Antonio had a contract up where they were gonna put some new vendors in the San Antonio International Airport. A city councilman there said not Chick-fil-A because of their position on LGBTQ LGBTQ. I always mix up the order. You know what I mean? yep. Um, we had to just find out a one word for that if you could pronounce it. Um <laughs> Anyway, it said we shouldn't allow Chick-fil-A in. The city council voted to strike Chick-fil-A from that deal and started a fire. And the fire, you know, went through political ranks and got all the way up to the attorney general of Texas who said, um, I'm with Chick-fil-A. He had a great line, and I can't remember the exact word. Oh, my God, it was a great line. It was basically, you know... The only thing more delicious than the First Amendment is maybe Chick-fil-A. <laughs> yeah, you know, right, exactly. Something like that. Um, Chick-fil-A I
0: mean, chicken sandwiches or something.
2: They got a big, fat, easy pitch, and they hit it you know, as hard as they could. Uh, now he's taken a position against the city of San Antonio on behalf of Chick-fil-A, on behalf of religious tolerance, which mm-hmm. is interesting in the context of the fight about Religious intolerance. Yeah, it's the
0: it's it, the flip. So, right, right. I mean, if you stand for legislation that says, you know, you can decide that you're going to not do business with someone because of, you know, their whatever, their, you know, gender their, or their right. religious preference or their whatever, you know, their sexuality, how do you flip that on its head and say?
2: Well, you're supposed to, I guess, you know, if I was working for the attorney general's office, I would say, you know, the city's not supposed to do that. Individuals can do that on their right. own. Um, and Chick fil A can decide who they're gonna serve, but um, the city can't or shouldn't be in this business and ought to, ought to back out and set up that Chick fil A so people can decide whether they're gonna eat chicken or eat someplace else.
3: Mm-hmm. I do think the, the optics were interesting on Friday. While well, Congress was opening an investigation into Texas over concerns of voter suppression, Texas was opening an investigation into San Antonio over Chick fil A. Right. And, um, you know, I don't, you take, from that what you want in terms of priorities or whatnot. And I think everyone's probably playing to their base, so it's fine in the end for folks. But, you know, I think seeing that play out at the same time that SB17 was coming up in the session for sure was sort of
0: a contrast in... It's like a
2: family portrait of yeah. American <laughs> politics right now. It's
3: yeah.
0: Pretty, well, good, pretty good s- snapshot. Switching fast food chains to Whataburger, we have a little breaking news on Beto O'Rourke. Uh, Patrick Svitek, our colleague, is reporting that Beto says he raised $9.4 million in the first 18 days of his candidacy uh, coming from 218,000 contributors, uh, average donation was $43. So self-reported, so take it with a grain of salt. But we've got those those first numbers there.
2: Well, we're at the end of the quarter, and so that's the FEC report, right? Yep. So that's that's self-reported, but it's also going to be reported, officially right? reported. Yeah. Half million dollars a day isn't bad. Nope. And, you know, Not at it's all. Um, he doesn't have the numbers just in my head. You know, Bernie still has more contributors and. Right. Contributing a smaller amount. I think Bernie's average was in the high 20s, $27, $28. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's fierce. I mean, that's why, that's why people are talking about Beto O'Rourke in this race. He comes roaring out of a Senate race where he was noted for his ability to raise, raise money. He raised more yep. money than anybody in American history in a Senate race. And here he is doing you know the same thing. And so you've got to consider him. Um, you look at poll numbers on one hand, and he's in the top 10, if not the top five. But if you look at money, top three.
0: Well, that's all the time we have this week. Thanks to Texas Tech University, the Texas Association of School Business Officials, the Texas Association of Freestanding Emergency Centers, and Centerpoint Energy, our sponsors this week. And an extra special thanks, as always, to Spoon for our theme music. On behalf of Ross, Alexa, Dave, and our producers, Michael, Ray, and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening.